Two days ago, I saw a vehicle that had hauled that tanker. You want to get out of here? You talk to me. minute where we're still human beings with dignity watching mad max to the road warrior one minute at a time i'm rick and i'm julia and today we're talking about minute 62 which begins with papagallo thinking he has max all figured out and it ends with max reinstalling the booby trap on the interceptor yesterday we were talking about papagallo poking and prodding at max to try and find what pain point will elicit a response and at the very end of yesterday's minute, Papagallo mentioned Max's family. And in this first shot, he finds out that is what Max feels most strongly about. Because with the dialogue, he launches in, oh, so that's it. You lost some family. That make you something special, does it? And Max tries to turn away from this and distance himself a little bit from what I have dubbed the McAfee maneuver. So the McAfee maneuver specifically is saying something out of line to Max that sets him off. It was first implemented by Captain Fifi McAfee back in Mad Max 79 when Max was trying to quit the MFP. Max said, I didn't come here to discuss it. I came here to say it. I'm through. And then Fifi's like, now just a minute. All right. So the goose bought it, but that's the way he always came at the world. And then Max points at him and says, offbeat, too far. And so that's pretty much what Papagallo is doing here, going up to Max and saying, you're all sad because you lost your family. Well, join the club, Buster. That doesn't make you special. That seems to be one of the only ways to get Max to care about something, mm -hmm. is to make him angry by pushing his buttons on purpose. Yeah. He's so even-keeled otherwise that I don't like the way that Papagallo is treating Max, but from Papagallo's point of view, he kind of has no other options. If he wants to get anywhere with Max, his only way to do it is by being mean to him. Mm-hmm. He's really mean to him and in the last minute he called him a maggot and stuff in this minute he calls him garbage like he's being really mean what papagallo is trying to do is he's trying to get max to stay to join them and to drive the rig and work together with them and in all of these instances of calling him a maggot and belonging out there with the garbage he's trying to show max that the solitary life is not the life that he should be living and in this instance here, yeah, he's doing it in a really harsh way, but he's basically saying, you lost family members. So did everybody else. You're very much like us. We should work together. But he's doing it in such a way that he's poking the bear. And Max, like I said, turns and tries to walk away. And Papagallo does probably the one thing you should never do when someone is walking away from you. He reaches out and grabs Max by the arm. And he says, listen to me. And when Max feels that hand on his arm and he feels that pull, he hauls off and punches Papagallo square across the face. That makes me so happy. I wish somebody had punched him in the face earlier. <laughs> said it before, I'm not a fan of Papagallo. I have grown to understand that he may be a good leader, but I don't like him personally. Mm -hmm. So I'm totally okay with Max punching him in the face. Yeah, and it's a good punch too because it sends him sprawling yes. across that garage. With that bum leg, he had like no resistance to stop himself. He just went flying. <laughs> it also caused quite a ruckus. Yeah, it Ooh. did. 
flew into some things, which caught the attention of some of the mechanics working nearby. Yeah. What I like about this shot and a couple of the shots afterwards of Papagallo flying off into the barrel and rolling around on the ground, when the curmudgeon goes to help Papagallo up, you can see that every single mechanic that is working on the rig in the background has stopped working on the rig and is now paying attention to what's happening in the garage. Because when your boss gets punched, you pay attention. Right. (laughs) Is it in today's minute or tomorrow's minute where they go back to work? It may actually be later on in the week. Sometime this week. I'm pretty sure by tomorrow they've gone back to work. Yeah, sometime this week there is a scene where they like pause for a moment and kind of go, huh, and then go back to work. Yeah. Ah, I can't remember when it is, but it's there. Sometimes. If it's if it's on Thursday and Friday, that might be it because I haven't watched those. I haven't prepped I, those yet. <laughs> yeah, I watched them through once, so yeah, <laughs> it, it's probably in Thursday or Friday. Probably after Max punches Papagallo, he does something instead of leaning in and pursuing Papagallo to punch him again and again and again. He takes a step back and he leans against the black on black and he sits there, sort of massaging his hand a little bit because punching someone actually hurts. That's something the movies don't tell you. But it's also a good move when you're surrounded by people that you know are allied to this person that you've just punched. Mm-hmm. To position yourself in such a way that you no longer pose a threat to that person. Yes. And show to everybody around you that, okay, that was an isolated incident. I'm right. calm, cool, and collected. Don't mind me. I'm just over here taking a breath. Don't mind me. I'm just over here sulking like a teenager. Yeah. <laughs> That's one way to put it. Because Max has been emotionally rattled Mm -hmm. between yesterday's minute and the first half-ish of this minute. He has been poked over and over again, and he's starting to feel a little raw. Yeah. One of Max's major drawbacks is that he doesn't deal with things. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He's obsessed with his past, but he doesn't deal with his past. He doesn't work through... The feelings and thoughts that he has about losing Jesse and Sprague and the world collapsing and the death of Goose. Well, since you mentioned the death of Goose, the last time that he did work through an event or grief was the death of Goose. He talked it over with Jesse. She was the only person in the world that he could roughly confide in. Yes. He tried very hard to talk it out. Yes. And he gave a noble effort. (laughs) Yes. And for him, I think that's what he needed. Yeah. We we talked about it at length during the scene back in the original Mad Max. Yeah. But since he didn't have Jesse to help him through the things that have been happening to him, he hasn't dealt with his grief at all. Yep. And there's no one that could possibly replace Jesse in his life. No. He's never going to be able to replace her with another romantic companion or yeah i'll go with romantic companion yeah and we see this movie and the next movie he replaces the companionship part with animals Mm -hmm. and then in fury road i don't recall him having any kind of companion at all no he's completely alone in fury road alone yeah it's interesting in this movie his companion is a dog who his relationship with dog is 
quite human-like. The interactions we've seen to them have contained a lot of understanding between the two of them, and they absolutely are each other's companion. In the next movie, in Thunderdome, his companion is a monkey, who honestly comes and goes throughout the entire film. He's That monkey is everybody's companion Yeah, at one point or another. He seems to have some intelligence, but he doesn't seem to have a consistent by-your-side loyalty to Max. Right. And then by the fourth film, it seems like he doesn't have a companion at all. So even that little bit of humanity that he is keeping by his side is becoming less and less mm-hmm. it's not good it's no not good for max not at all he's going backwards ah he is going backwards because all he can think about is his past <laughs> there you go mm-hmm. papagallo is able to get to his feet once again and he takes a few steps towards max and he says do you think you're the only one that suffered we've all been through it in here but we haven't given up and hearing that makes me wonder about the backstories that we don't get for people like Papagallo, people like the curmudgeon and Big Rebecca and Zeta and Warrior Woman and all the rest of them. Mm-hmm. You do get the sense that there is a Mad Max 79 for every all of, one those, of those people. people. Especially Papagallo, because if he was an energy company executive, that kind of position usually comes with a wife, a couple of kids, a house. Comfortable lifestyle, very comfortable lifestyle, I would assume. Yeah, and he's more or less all alone in the compound. Papagallo works with a bunch of other people, but he never gives the impression that he's anything more than the community leader for any one of them. Right, he never even shows a particular friendship with anybody else. We see him interact mostly with Zeta, kind of as his number one. Yeah, Zeta is the Riker to Papagallo's Picard. Exactly, but there doesn't seem to be any friendship there. Which is unfortunate, because drawing that parallel, Riker and Picard, yes, they are very, very professional, but they're also friends. Yeah, we probably don't get an opportunity to see that in this movie. There is going to be an interaction that comes up before the end of this week that I know of, for sure, where... Zeta goes up and talks to Papagallo, and he's very open with what he's talking to him about. So you kind of get the sense that they're friends more so than just co-workers, mm-hmm. for lack of a better term. But even so, if Papagallo was there with his wife, with his kids, if he had a family in amongst the dwellers, I feel like that would have come across in some way. Not in overt text like, oh, hi, I'm Papagallo. This is Mrs. Papagallo, and these are Papagallo 1 and 2. <laughs> but some sort of interaction we would have seen to show that they are there. And so it makes you think, maybe they didn't survive the collapse. It was a maelstrom of chaos, a firestorm of fear that was described in that opener, and he probably lost a fair amount, which is why in the screenplay, he's introduced to us pretty much ransacking his office and getting the heck out of Dodge. I suppose an explanation for that, and that's true across the board, we don't really see any kind of personal relationships as a whole, with a few little exceptions. That can be explained by the entire time we've been with the compound, it's been a particularly high stress situation. They've been under active siege the entire time that we have known them. And so being so focused on defending themselves, planning for their immediate future, dealing with these aggressive threats and the nightmare scenes and the torture out on the plane in front of them, you know, you're all down to business. Your friendships... 
get put to the side for the moment because you need to, you know, take your shift on the defenses and you need to be rounding up the pigs Mm -hmm. and doing what you're supposed to do for the good of everybody that you don't have time for canoodling yes canoodling (laughs) (laughs) one major difference between the people in the compound and max is you get the sense that even though all of them have suffered loss that they've taken steps to work through that loss by surrounding themselves with other people I, i think that's so important i know that everybody deals with loss in their own way but devoting yourself to a solitary life i cannot imagine is a healthy way for anybody to deal with loss you may need time alone you may need to spend some time being solitary and isolated but that's just not healthy we're not built that way yeah i mean if max was going out to be alone so that he could cry manly tears of loss and sorrow and not let everybody see him in that vulnerable state, that would be one thing. But Max doesn't do that, that we know. You can make the argument that, yeah, we never see it, but just knowing the kind of character that he is, he wouldn't do that anyway. No, I agree. I don't think he would do that anyways. He's not dealing with it at all. Yeah, he's taking it, and he's stamping it down deep down inside a hole and he's covered that hole with some sort of metaphorically heavy object that way he doesn't have to deal with it he's living that solitary lifestyle i think because the day-to-day stress of surviving is what helps him keep his mind off of the loss that he suffered in that first movie so that he doesn't have to confront it yes and these people in the compound and everybody else who is left in the world even the marauders they have faced plenty of loss too Mm -hmm. so everybody else else who has remained part of a group is dealing with it in a healthier way than Max is dealing with it. Yeah. And so when Papagallo says, we're still human beings with dignity, but you, you're out there with the garbage. And he's pointing and emphasizing every word that he says here. And he follows up the your garbage line with your nothing. And I interpret that as Papagallo saying that Max is kind of like a plastic bag that you see being blown around by the wind. Not in like an American beauty way, not like, oh, there's so much beauty in the world, but like when you're driving on a road and a plastic shopping bag has flown out of someone's car window and is just in the middle of the road and cars are driving over it and it's getting whipped up by the backdraft and getting caught under wheel wells and spit out and it's serving no purpose. It's benefiting nobody. It's eventually going to blow off into a tree, get caught on a branch and then just be garbage. It's existing and it's surviving all of these things that would crush a living creature because living creatures squish underneath car tires, but the metaphor continues. Max is in his current state not going to leave any lasting effect on the world. And I say that specifically Max right now. Max who is going to leave and abandon the compound. He is just being blown around by fate and eventually he's going to stick on a branch and become trash for someone to pick up he's going to get a nick or a cut on a rusty piece of metal and die from tetanus or get sick or something like that and that's how i interpret this whole your garbage your nothing line from papagallo i like that explanation it gives more meaning to Papagallo's statement other than he's just being mean. Because I want there to be more meaning. Papagallo is an intelligent person, and I base that mostly not of what we've seen of him in the movie as shown to us, but what we've seen of him from the screenplay. Right. He has proven himself to be an intelligent and charismatic leader. So in this moment, I want to see more of him than just being mean to Max. 
So I really like that. I was also thinking that as living beings, as animals, as mammals, we have certain things that we must do. We must eat. We must sleep. But one of the other driving things about being a living thing is that we must procreate. We must leave something behind after us. And Max did that. He had a child and it was taken away from him. So his drive to leave something behind after he leaves was then wiped out. Right. And he seems to have lost that drive. And thinking back to my biology class in college, that's one requirement of a living thing, is that it has a drive to reproduce in some way. Yeah, to create a lasting effect on the world around it. Yes, and Max has no drive for that. Therefore, is he living? No, he's not. Yeah, I think that's one of the major themes that we saw come out from Papagallo's rant yesterday. So after telling Max that he is nothing, Papagallo leans on the curmudgeon and the two of them walk away out of the garage. And if you've ever wondered what it looks like when someone walks away in a huff, this shot here at second 49, where Max starts off leaning against the black on black, and then he pushes himself up onto his feet, and he grabs the booby trap device and walks around the back of the black on black, that's walking away in a huff. <laughs> Textbook okay. example. When we were going over our notes, and you mentioned this textbook walking away in a huff, I thought you were referring to Papagallo. Nope. You are referring to Max. Absolutely. And I am perfectly okay with that, because Max is still sulking. Yeah. Max, I think, is sulking because he knows that Papagallo is right. Absolutely. At the end of the day, he recognizes that Papagallo is 100% right. And that doesn't sit well with Max. No. Because he doesn't like it when other people are right. <laughs> no, and he also doesn't want to face the fact that he's repressing his grief and what it has done to him. Yep. So he does what he does best, and he booby traps his car and continues working on getting out of there. Yep. And we get a quick shot of the feral child who is still crouched up in the shadows on those overhead pipes yes, from the other a, day. We get a reminder that he's still there. He saw that whole thing. Yep. I think, because we know that the feral child is the narrator from the beginning and end of the movie, and the narrator seems to have information about Max from before the collapse, and now granted... It's nothing specific. As far as the opening narration goes, the narrator says the gangs took over the highways ready to wage war for a tank of juice, and in that maelstrom of decay, ordinary men were battered and smashed. Men like Max, the warrior Max. In the roar of an engine, he lost everything and became a shell of a man, a burnt-out, desolate man, a man haunted by the demons of his past, a man who wandered out into the wasteland, and it was here in that blighted place that he learned to live again. That's pretty generic. That is actually pretty generic. And I'm pretty sure based on what the feral child overheard from this interaction between Papagallo and Max, mm -hmm. that's where he was able to put together that little synopsis yes, of Max's life. Yes, he extrapolates and makes it sound a little more poetic. But yeah, when you boil it down, it's, yeah, it's really vague. I also like at the end of the grown-up feral child's narration that he talks about how Max learned to live again foreshadowing to the end of this movie. That's also really interesting because as viewers of all four movies, we know that, yes, Max is going to help out and seem to learn to live again, and then he's immediately going to regress to where he was before. 
Right. Because that's his way. That's what happens at every movie. Yeah. So <laughs> he goes outside himself and then he goes right back in. Right. So that's definitely something, as I've said before, last week of episodes, we'll yes. be doing a lot of that analysis. So that's yes. something we should keep in mind. Yes. And we pretty much wrap this minute with Max crouched by the back of the black on black. It's a lot of B words. That's ah, quite the that sentence. One. And he's reinstalling the booby trap putting it back in place, getting ready to leave. I'm not surprised that all of Papagallo and the curmudgeons conversating and suggesting and pleading and asking and attacking that it's had no effect on Max, just because that's the kind of person Max is. When you push against him, he pushes back and nothing is gained. When yes. you try to persuade him, he's very resistant to that. I think that's a holdover for his character from that first movie. I agree. I think the only person that was really able to convince him to do something because it would be fun or because it would be good for him were Goose and Jesse. Goose was able to convince him to accept the interceptor from the mechanic at MFP headquarters and get excited about that. And it was a moment down there in the MFP garage with Barry and Goose and the black on black that Max was genuinely excited about the prospect of driving it. Then, of course, him and Goose leave the garage and drive away in a normal pursuit special, but that's... <laughs> We already talked about that, but Goose was able to get him excited about something. And then all of the time that he was spending with Jesse when they were out on vacation, she had this way of making him happy and convincing him that they need to do things for his best interest. And now that they're gone, no one else has been able to do that. It goes back to that whole no one will ever replace Jesse idea. Yes. Looping yeah, back I around. agree. Every time, every time we talk about Jesse, I, I miss her. Mm -hmm. She was such a great character. Criminally underused. Yes. I think she was a good female character, which George Miller really has, you know, mixed results when it comes to women. But Jessie was a good female character who was treated well. So I'm, I miss her. She was a good person and she was a good wife to Max. And I'm not going to say she was a good mother to Sprague. You know what? They had different ideas about raising kids back then. Yeah, it's not the whole idea. She was a bad mother. That's not nice. The whole idea of car seats <laughs> and proper storage for service weapons. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. By modern standards, Jesse would get criticized for her mothering habits but at the same time she was a good mom and she was a good wife and she was a great person taken far too soon yes so that yeah it just makes me sad for max yeah because we got to see what he lost and yeah he lost someone really special mm -hmm. and papagallo just doesn't understand that no i'm on papagallo's side about that one i mean everyone's relationships are different the relationship that papagallo had with this wife that we've invented for him and this family that he's lost is unique and special yeah max's relationship with jesse and sprague his family that was special yeah and unique and Speaking generally, I think you can have some empathy there, but I don't think you can really truly understand what it was like. Oh my gosh. I'm actually glad you brought this up because it's a line in my notes that we kind of skipped over. Okay. When Papagallo says something like, you know, you've lost, you've lost family and that somehow makes you special. Mm-hmm. It does not make him special. He does not get to behave this way as a responsible, functioning adult. He should be taking it better. And I, you know, totally understand that he is way messed up in the head and that, frankly, he has mental health issues. But so do other people there. Right. And they didn't throw a fit and go wander off into the wilderness, did they? No, they didn't. 
they, exactly what Papagallo says, they held it together and they conducted their lives with dignity, looking for quality of life. He doesn't get to go out into the wilderness and throw a tantrum and think he's the only one that feels that kind of pain. Yeah. Okay. I see how you flipped it around there. Okay. I thought you were going with one direction, but no, you came back around <laughs> with the other. Okay. I gotcha. Yeah. It's to make light of a very heavy subject. It's like Max has a blue t-shirt and he's all upset because, oh, I have a blue t-shirt. And then he looks around and everybody else is wearing a blue t-shirt. Right. Like, calm down, dude. Everyone's gone through something similar, even if it wasn't exactly the same. Right. And I think that's very true for real life, that everybody's experiences are different and everybody deals with those experiences in their own way. But everybody is still responsible for dealing with those in healthy ways. Yeah. And if you can't deal with it in a healthy way, okay, that's okay. But now you now you are personally responsible. You need to go f get help to deal with it in a responsible way. Yeah, you get the sense from that first movie that seeing Goose all burnt up and barely alive... <laughs> really messed, messed up max and then seeing jesse and sprague out on that highway mm -hmm. and then being out in the hallway listening to those doctors talking about jesse oh yeah which we had issues with those doctors go back to the first season and listen to that one but max was broken i think he went mad absolutely crazy mad yeah and that's nothing new that's not a new idea we're not making a breakthrough here it's something we've said before but he broke and he never took the steps to put himself back together and now he has a complex about well i'm i'm a special snowflake right i'm a special grain of sand in this desert yes and he's and you know what you are a special snowflake you are a special grain of sand but so is everybody else yeah so <laughs> cool <your> jets there <laughs> yeah okay one more thing okay <laughs> that you just mentioned that it cursed me we've never talked about for is the title of the movies calling him mad max mm -hmm. as americans mad to us means angry right so we translate that as angry max and this is the story of how he became angry and how he shows his anger but mad in a british sense and probably also an australian sense is to mean insane yeah so that goes along with what you just said about him being broken by the events of the first movie to turn him into insane max yeah as opposed to angry max so i'm sure it's probably like a double meaning but we never really talked about that before hmm. and so we come to the end of the minute i think this is going to be a good spot for us to put a pin in this and pick up with tomorrow's subject, we're going to see Max fully reinstalling the booby trap. We're going to see the feral child enter the scene, and we're going to see how the two of them interact. Okie dokie. The Mad Max Minute podcast is a fan project by Rick and Julia Ingham. The Mad Max franchise was created by George Miller and Byron Kennedy and presented by Warner Brothers Pictures in association with Village Roadshow Pictures. Mad Max Minute is produced and edited by Rick Ingham. Our opening music is by Daniel Batista of DanielBatista.com. You can follow Mad Max Minute on Twitter at Mad Max Minute, on Facebook at Mad Max Minute Beyond Microphone, and at MadMaxMinute.com. And finally, if you would like to contribute to the podcast, visit madmaxminute.com click on the support link at the top of the page and check out our patreon to help us keep the tanks full thank you for joining us for minute 62 of the road warrior we'll see you tomorrow